0: welcome to the every nation Rosebank Church podcast at our church we honor God make disciples and transform nations for more information about our church visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe what a privilege for us to worship together to sit under the word uh, I um, I have the privilege of uh, uh, taking us forward in our healthy relationship series and so we started last week looking at a healthy me looking at yourself as an individual what is the work that you need to do to be able to bring the best of yourself into relationships and uh, today we're looking at friendships um, healthy friendships healthy friendships and what what are those dynamics and what do they uh, look like I was considering uh, uh, David um, who was in exile when he first got the news of the passing of his great friend, Jonathan. Somebody brought the news to him, Jonathan is dead. And uh, and David pays homage to Jonathan. And, uh, and we have this long uh, poem that, that David recites in honor of, of his friend. And right at the end... David says this, he says, I, I am distressed for you, my friend, Jonathan. I'm distressed for you because your love to me was extraordinary. Your love to me was extraordinary. And he says this, he says, it was more wonderful than the love of a woman. I'm distressed for you, my friend. It it has hit me hard that you are gone. Your love, when we uh, were relating, your love uh, to me was extraordinary. And it was more wonderful than the love of a woman. And he writes these words, these heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching words that are are then documented in in this book that we uh, now call the Bible. We come along thousands of years later, and read these words of David. And we have a look at them and we go, I, I am distressed for you, my friend. Okay, okay. Uh, love you, Jonathan. Okay, okay. Your love for me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. And we go, ha! Evidence. David was gay. It's right there. Because he said, he declared, that he was in this relationship with this man And the love that they had, the love that he felt from this man was better than the love of a woman. Must have been gay. And we we read from the perspective of our contemporary over-sexualized eyes to try and understand Scripture. And we fail to understand Scripture because we are applying what has become a perverted mindset. And we fail to see intimacy for what it is, because we don't know the difference between sex and intimacy. And so in in, in marriage relationships, we're, we're, we're busy replacing sex or intimacy for sex. And in in friendships, we we are missing the opportunity to have true connection and true intimacy because what the Bible shows as this, this courageous vulnerability that these people were showing, we look at that and we call it weak. And I love you has become a sexual phrase. And and, and so I can say I love you to to my mother, I can say I love you to my wife, but man, if I have to look at another man and say I love you, that man gets uncomfortable. What do you mean? (laughs) Say more words. (laughs) Before I know how to respond to that. Because we no longer know how to engage in healthy intimate, covenantal friendships without sexualizing it. It it has become almost impossible for a man and a woman to to have a healthy, pure relationship, friendship, that is not sexualized. We don't understand it. It's it's become almost impossible for men to have deep, connected, intimate uh, uh, friendships without us finding a way to sexualize that. And so we're uncomfortable with one another. And we draw these boundaries with one another where we try and live mutually in- independent space, but somehow together. Let's not overlap too much, but, but let's kind of stay within the space because we're trying to protect If those, if those spaces overlap, does that now mean that my male friend is hitting on me? I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with it. This guy came and he hugged me, he said he loves me. Now, how do I, how do I, how do I respond to that? I, I do confess that from time to time I've been taken aback by a male friend who would say, I love you, and then I have to like take a few breaths before I decide how to... How to respond to that. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that, thank you. As I walk away. Because <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. My mind has become perverted. And, and, um, and we can learn from people around us, but we can learn from Scripture this morning about what it looks like to be brave, In relationship. Brave enough to cultivate intimacy and not interpret that for sex. Right? So let us look at this relationship that David has with Jonathan. And I'll look at a few relationships that David has um, that are strategic in his life. But I want to look at this one because I think um, this this is the primary one. In this scripture, in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel 18, David has just slain Goliath. Remember that story. Uh, David goes and he faces a giant of the Philistines and he uses a sling um, and, and, uh, and, and slays the giant, cuts off his head, uh, and it's kind of like the, the, the beginning of David's fame. He becomes this, this famous warrior, he goes through stuff, and it's the beginning of his, of his journey towards becoming the king of Israel. But it's going to be a long journey, but here we are, we find him having just, just overcome Goliath. And in the story, he goes and he has an interview with the king, because now the king wants to really get to know who this guy is. And, and uh, it, it, it'll be worthwhile to remember that uh, before this moment, David had interacted with the king and, uh, and David had been to the palace and remember uh, uh, Saul had had some troubles and he would, he would uh, 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 be distressed. And so they said, there's this guy, he plays good music and he's gonna put your, your, your soul at ease. And so David had been to the palace, but this is the first time it seems that they're having a proper interview because Saul is saying, who are you? And, uh, and, and, and whose son are you? And tell me about yourself. And David speaks to him and Jonathan is in the room. And it says in verse 1 that as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. This was the interaction they had together. As soon, it says, as soon as he had finished speaking to King Saul, Jonathan looked at this guy and his soul was knit to the soul of David. And we look at that and we say, ah, further evidence. <laughs> further evidence. You see, their souls were knit together. What could that mean if not that they had a romantic relationship? I'm not making this stuff up. This is the stuff that people would tell me when they argue the point that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. These are the scriptures that they bring to me. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, first things first, if we look at the fact that David, uh, Saul, uh, Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David the other time that that word is used is in the book of Exodus. It's not Exodus, Genesis, where it is describing the love that Jacob had for his last born son Benjamin. It says that he was his soul is wound up in this, in the in the life of this boy. So this is not a sexualized they were not thinking of it in those terms. His soul the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. His life became bound up in his life. Like the, the, the intensity of, of love and, and connection that he felt to this person was likened to the connection and the love and the affection that Jacob felt for his lastborn born son. Saul was bound up with him. And he loved him. As his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a vow, a covenant, with uh, with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe, and they go, ha ha! There's another one. They stripped. They got naked together. That was Haha. okay. No, come on, that's reaching. They're, they're not, they're not, that's not what's happening there. Uh, uh, f- first of all, f- first of all it, it, if I follow that, that train of logic, I'm going. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a sporting team or, or, or sporting environment, and you've ever. And I have it on good authority, by the way, that this applies to the ladies as well. That you go into, the, into a locker room, you're pumped up. You're, it's wartime. If somebody starts changing in the locker room, nobody's going. Hey. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just not what's happening at that moment. When we, read it into, when we read that into this kind of thing, it's because our minds were perverted to begin with. And so we're reading perversion into what is not perverse. We're, we're approaching it because our, our society has become so over-sexualized that everything is through the filter of sex. But that's not what it is. But that's just if we were to follow that, that train of thought. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. I think what's happening here is that Jonathan was extending an invitation to David. And here's what I mean by that. Jonathan and David were not equals. Jonathan was a prince. David was a shepherd. And it didn't matter what kind of a feat David achieved... It says even in the scriptures that that Saul promoted him to high office within within the military. He could have become a general and there still would not have been peers. Because Jonathan was a prince. And so what does Jonathan do? He says, here is my robe and here is my belt and here is my armor and here is my weapons. You and I are peers. The, the, the ground between us is not skewed. Whereas I was a superior to you before, we are now peers. Take note that it cost Jonathan something to level the playing field. To enter into relationship, into covenantal friendship with David was costly to Jonathan. If Jonathan had just waited it out, Done nothing, he would have become king of Israel. He just had to wait for Saul to die. And he would have, become, he would have inherited the kingdom. To level the playing field, to make David mutual and, and appear to him was to increase the probabilities that David would become the next king. And so Jonathan knew that for me to take this step is to a detriment to my own career ambitions. But there is a matter of covenant that is playing out here that far supersedes my own ambitions. And so enters into the scene a friend like Jonathan who backs David, even at his own cost, who believes in David and sees what God has called him to be and backs that, celebrates that, supports that, even facilitates it. How's that for friendship? Jonathan didn't have to enter into friendship with David. And in order to enter into relationship with David, he had to be willing to pay a cost. It says here. here here's um, an interesting thing. When, when David was going to fight Goliath, You'll, you'll, you'll see it if you go read it. Some of you, you may not have come across this as yet. But when David was going to fight Goliath, and it's literally it's the previous chapter to this, Saul calls him and says, you can go fight Goliath. Here's my armor. Here's my armor. Go fight Goliath. And David refuses to take the armor. He refuses to take the armor. Now i ask myself, um, why did he refuse to take the armor? Especially in light of the fact that he refused to take Saul's armor, but he took Jonathan's armor. Now, the good news is the scriptures tell us exactly. He said, David's response was this He says, It's not for me that I can't, I can't wear your armor. It's not for me. It won't fit me, and I'm not used to it. I need to be able to fight my own way. Um, and I think that's a really good reason. It's a really good reason. And I believe David. I I, I wondered. I wondered. If I were to extend it, to what extent David didn't take Saul's armor, but took Jonathan's armor because Saul was offering him service and Jonathan was offering him friendship. Something special was happening in that interchange. And sometimes we meet people. We meet people and we immediately know, man, there's a connection here. So there's something special that's happening here. And in that moment, you get to, de- you get to decide, what are we exchanging? And if, if I offer you my armor, are you receiving my armor? And if you're receiving my armor, what armor are you receiving? Is it the armor of friendship or is it the armor of service? But the onus is on you to receive and to know what you're receiving. And that's where we, boundaries come into play and wisdom comes into play, and we, we, we hang out and we figure one another out, and we, do we like each other? Yeah, we like each other. Let's hang out. Let's be, let's be buddies, and don't tell me you love me just yet, because I'm still awkward. and you know <laughs> still working through some stuff. And so this he accepts, he accepts uh, Jonathan's armor. Here's another question that I that I'm asking while I'm reading. What is it about David that caused Jonathan's soul to go towards him? That's not clear. We, we've, kind of, we've spoken about the fact that that what is happening here is good and sacred. It's not it's not a, a sexualized weird thing. But what what is it? Why? Now, the other reason why I'm asking this is because as we established initially, it wasn't the first time that Jonathan was meeting David. David had been to the palace a few times. He had ministered in the throne room playing the harp, the flute and whatever else. And and so uh, I think it's a safe assumption that Jonathan would have bumped into him in the halls of the palace somewhere or entered into the throne room when there was David ministering. But he didn't pay him any attention. At that point, his soul didn't go towards him and like love him as as his own soul. But here we are on the battlefield, and and so what is it that happened here that causes Jonathan's soul to go towards him? I'm asking, is it was it David's like just dashing good looks? Did did he just like was it the fact that he he held a a giant's head in his in his in his hand? And 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 I'm going, Jonathan, did you look at David in that moment and realize David had just become a national hero. In one, one fell swoop, David had become a household name, and so I, it, it is now worth my while to get to know David. I don't think that's what's happening. If you go back a few chapters, think chapter 13, Israel is at war with the Philistines it's going poorly for Israel, very, very poorly. They have been oppressed by the Philistines to the extent that the Philistines had not allowed them to keep any weapons in all of Israel. In fact, Scripture says, there were no, not even any blacksmiths. If they wanted to sharpen their, 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 their cultivating tools, their, their plowshares and their, and their hoes and all of that, if they wanted to sharpen their tools, they had to go to a Philistine town and get them sharpened. For a fee. And then go. Now, look at that. And I went, ah, you had to pay a tax to, d- for the tools that you need to cultivate harvest that you're going to have to pay a tax for. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's close to home. Let me move on from that one. On. Anyway, this is the situation they found themselves in. So when these, when these uh, armies are, are, are facing each other, it's not this, this scene that I had in my mind of these fierce two armies that are beating their, their, their shields and, and waving their swords and axes at each other. It's a well-kitted out army of the Philistines and an army of farmers with plowshares. It says that the only two people who had swords in that army were Jonathan and Saul. So it was bad. That's the only reason I'm painting this picture. Just so It was really, really bad. Anyway. Uh, people went, they, they fled, they went to hide in caves, they, they crossed over into neighboring nations, they, they hid in tunnels and cisterns, and, and, and Saul is, is left with a few hundred of these soldiers. Jonathan gets up one day, takes his armor bearer, and says to him, listen, let's go over to that uh, camp, that Phil- one of the Philistines' camps, and we're going to attack that camp because surely the Lord will be with us. Off they go. And they, 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 they devise a plan on the way. If they say this, we're going to ask them this. If they say this, we'll know the Lord is with us. If they say, if they say this, we'll know we probably shouldn't attack them. Um, and so they interact with them, and Jonathan says, ha, there's our sign. The Lord is with us. They're up on a, on a cliff, so he has to climb up the cliff. The, the armor bearer is coming on behind him. They get to the top, and he begins to wield his sword, and he's engaging these guys in warfare, and they're destroying them. It says that the armor bearer was coming behind David, just killing off those that were left. And, and, they, and they had this, this, this great victory. That the entire Israelite army was, was inspired and they won a great victory that day. Now let's take that story and transplant it into this moment. Because you see, what I think is happening here is the reason that Jonathan looked at David in that moment and saw him in a different light than he had ever seen him before was because he finally saw somebody who was willing to trust God just as much as he was. He had stood on this faith that surely God will be with me, and he went against the odds, him and an armor-bearer. The armor-bearer didn't have a weapon he, whatever he had was what, was what he had, they went against an army. Jonathan stood on this faith that God will be with me. Surely God will deliver me. And you know what? The army came and they reaped a reward, but no one stood with Jonathan after that. No one was standing up and saying, here is a fighting God who goes on our behalf. We will stand with Jonathan, not one. They trembled before Goliath until one guy stepped up and said, Jonathan, I see the same God that you see." And so the soul of Jonathan was knit to this man. He said, here is a man I can do warfare with. Here is a man who can stand with me. If this guy and I form covenant, Israel will rise to great heights. We can stand back to back with this guy. My soul is knit to him. Now, that makes far more sense to me than, than he desired David. Saul was drawn to David. And when we look at these two scriptures, by the way, um, the one on the previous slide and this one, are the two bookends of the first time that they had a recorded conversation, David and Jonathan, and the last time that they had a recorded conversation together. So this, in this scripture, David has gone through a lot because King Saul has tried to kill him a few times. And, uh, and they've reached a point where they've realized, if you stay in the palace, if you, in fact, if you stay in Israel, Saul is going to succeed in his attempts to kill you. And so they've just devised a plan because Jonathan has said, listen, I'm going to confirm one last time if Saul's really intent on killing you. If he is, I'm going to give you a sign and you've got to hightail it out of here. And so the sign has happened and they know for sure now that, uh, that Saul is after him. And this is their goodbye. And it says that as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. I love the fact that Jonathan, even though Jonathan has leveled the playing field between them, David is able to hold in tension a love relationship and, and friendship between him and this guy and the honor of his position. Would that we could have those kind of friendships where we can love one another, mutually respect one another, and honor what God has called us to do. Honor the position that God has called us to hold. Bowed three times before him, and they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. It was a a, a, a heart-wrenching moment for them to be able to have to part ways. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn between us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. The relationship, the love and the covenant of friendship that they had was understood in one word. Loyalty. You are loyal to me. I am loyal to you. And the commitment that we've made between each other far extends our lifetimes. When you are gone, your legacy is safe with me. When I am gone, your legacy is safe. Or, or however the English makes sense. You. And so I we can understand it as this. Jonathan, later on, let me put it this way, later on, years later, uh, many years later, when David is now king, and there's peace, and he is prosperous, and people are coming and sitting at his table, and they eat it from the fat of the land, and they, everybody wants to be close to David, and eat from his table, and it's amazing. One day, David is sitting at his table, and he says, hey guys, hey guys, Is there any descendant of Jonathan still left, breathing? Please, go find him. And so they send out. They say, oh, we think there's a guy, Mephibosheth. We think, okay, send scouts. They go, they find him. And they bring him. In fact, uh, the story of of Mephibosheth is that when... um, uh, he had become lame. He, he, he couldn't walk because at the time of, of, of civil war in, in, in Israel, his nursemaid had gone to grab him to run with him and had dropped him as a child. Um, and he had become lame. And so, and so he, he, he couldn't um, uh, fend for himself. And he was in some obscure place somewhere. David goes and fetches him, has him carried back into the, in, to, to, to the, to the palace, and he sits at the table of the king. He goes from being an obscure, crippled person who couldn't, uh, 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 who wouldn't have been respected, couldn't cultivate his own lands, couldn't do anything for himself, to eating at the, full, at the king's table for the rest of his life. Why? Because David kept covenant with Jonathan. Because in David's eyes, here was Jonathan sitting before him. And he would honor that relationship way beyond the expiry date of a lifetime. Let's not talk about a lifetime. Let's talk about you walking out the room. When you walk out the room, when you're in the same room with your friend and you walk out the room, are you still safe? Not even taking it to a lifetime. When you and I engage and we're friends and, and we're vulnerable towards each other and we, we go, we're, we're, we're going to be courageous enough to be naked before one another and you'll know me and I'll know you. When I walk out, am I still safe? Forget the lifetime. If we're not building those kind of relationships, those kind of friendships, we're just not doing it right. Because it doesn't have a foundation that's going to span generations. It has a foundation that's going to span conflicts and will not last through the various conflicts. And so David remembers. Is there a son of Jonathan still left? We, um, this idea of of being naked before one another freaks us out. Especially guys, right? We, like, we'll maybe do the locker room thing where we'll change and that's all good. But the true nakedness, The true nakedness is terrifying, it's terrifying. And so there are very few relationships and friendships that have gotten to the place where I know you and you know me. Truly, beyond the armaments, beyond the adornments, beyond the things that we put on, we know each other. My encouragement to you is to cultivate those relationships. Typically, what that looks like is going first. Beginning to strip down and say, know me. And I'm going to be courageous enough to be known and trust you to reciprocate. David and Jonathan. But David had other relationships. He had David's relationship between him and Samuel. Samuel was was the, the national prophet. He was the prophet, prophet over all the prophets, the senior prophet of all of Israel. And, uh, and, and God spoke to Samuel to say, Samuel, I, I, uh, my heart has turned away from, from Saul, from King Saul, and I'm going to bring in a new guy who's going to be king, and this guy is going to follow my, uh, my commands, and I'm going to show you this guy. You need to go and anoint him, and so Samuel goes off in obedience, and he goes, and he's going to he's going to anoint this new king. And of course, that the person he was talking about was David. And when he walked into uh, the, the the compound or the household where David and his family lived, it says this is what happened. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. This is one of uh, David's brothers. Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, Samuel walked in, he saw this guy, he was handsome, he was tall, he commanded uh, uh, respect just by looking at him and he thought, hey, here's a guy who men will follow. Here's a guy who uh, can lead Israel. I'm sure God has has chosen this guy. And God teaches Samuel something that's going to empower him to be a very good friend to David. Here's, Here's the lesson. Don't look at the outward appearance. Notice what I have put in and call that out. And so Samuel becomes this person to David who calls out what God has put inside. I don't want to ask the question whether we have any Samuels in our lives. I want to ask the question whether we have been Samuels in our lives. Those who are committed to seeing beyond the outward appearance, to see what God has placed inside of the person that you call your friend. Do you even know what prophecies have been prophesied over your friend? Do you know what identity God has spoken over them? Are you able to call that out? Or are we good times hangout buddies? Watch how David responds. When David had fled and made his escape when he'd run away from the the palace. He went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Nioth and stayed there. Samuel became a safe place for David. But where did it start? How did Samuel become a safe place for David? It started because Samuel saw who David was called to be. Anybody who sees you Truly sees you, you are attracted to that person. Anybody who can look at you and say, I see what God has placed inside of you, anybody who's willing to call that out of you is attractive to you. How do we put that in contemporary terms? We say, Who do we like? Who do we like the most? Who do we like the most? We like people who like us the most. That's that's pop psychology. (laughs) We like people who like us the most. So who do, who, who do I want to be around a lot? I want to be around people who make me feel good. Who like you, who call stuff out of me. But what does that result in? We spend time together. Why? Because I am actively wanting to be in this person's presence. What happens when we spend time together? We cultivate connection. That's how friendships work. It's that time spent. It's the people that we spend the most amount of time with that, that truly become our friends We have have, uh, nostalgic friendships. I have some nostalgic friendships. Oh, who have you known? Oh, this friend that I've known since I was in primary school. We go way back. No, yeah, we do, but that's not my friend. That's a nostalgic friendship. I'm hanging on to that because of what it symbolizes, and and I recognize that there's history and there's files between us. But the people I'm friends with are the people that I'm spending time with. Because the people I'm spending time with are the people who are getting to know me. Getting to form connection with me, whom I'm calling Jesus out of them, and they're calling Jesus out of me. We're going to war together. We're, we're establishing quality and connection. And what happens, we become each other's safe places and places of refuge. And so what did David do when he was in distress, when he was under attack? He ran to his friend with whom he felt safe. I love that, that Samuel's response was not to roll up his sleeves and fight David's battles on his behalf. Dave, uh, Samuel was the, 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 the national prophet. He could have said, all right, David, sit down. I'm going to deal with this guy. I'm going to call down fire. Show him what's what. He didn't. He said, let's go to Naoth. Naoth is where the school of the prophets was. And so, and so he took him to the place where they're experiencing God's presence. What did, David, what did Samuel do as a friend? He drew him into the presence of God. He heard his pain, he was with him in his pain, and then he said, let's go to God. No, hey, let's go to war. No, "Ah, no, just what to do. Oh, I know a guy. Don't worry, I'm going to solve. No, hey, let's go to God. When Saul heard that uh, David and Samuel had gone to Ramah, he sent, he sent people to retrieve David. Every time they came into contact with the prophets, they began to prophesy. Every single one. And the reports would come back to to, to Saul. These guys just fell and, and, and prophesied. Every time that he sent, eventually Saul decides he's gonna go himself. You know what happened? When he came into contact with the prophets, he fell down and began to prophesy. In fact, he says he stripped naked and prophesied. I don't know what to do with that scripture, but there we go. Samuel demonstrated to David that if we retreat into the presence of God, if your problems follow you to where we are, they will bow to who God is. Every time, every single time, David's problems pursued him into the presence of God. They bowed. And now we think of some of the the psalms that David would write about taking refuge in the presence of the Lord under the shadow of his wing. And it makes sense. He was reflecting on how he has experienced God and who he has seen him to be. It was born through friendship. Here's another strategic relationship that David had. It was David and King Saul. When uh, David first met King Saul, he was called in, summoned in to minister to the king. And so to play soothing tunes that would soothe the king's state. And then the next time we see this kind of interaction is after David has slain Goliath. And this time Saul takes a, even more of an interest in him. He interviews him. Who are you? Where do you come from? Who's your father? So that, what that says to me is, before, he, there was not much interaction. Okay, come in, play the thing, do your job, go out. You can go home if you want to. After this, it says he would not even allow him to return to his father's house. What kind of a relationship did Saul and David have? It was one where Saul was interested in what he could get out of David. David was a resource. When he needed soothing, David was around. When he didn't, David could go home. When David slew the giant and became a household name, became a hero, Saul took him in and brought him close. Why? Because if, if, uh, if David's stock is rising, I'd better keep him close. He is going to be good for my brand. Got to be careful of some of those friendships where we are associating with one another because we're doing a brand management exercise. Build my, my circle very carefully. I curate who's around me. Because if once we take a picture together and I post it on the, on the grams, it has to be clear that I'm cool because I'm with cool people. And so and so, uh, uh, Saul brings him in. This guy, man, his stock is rising. Better bring this guy in. And in fact, I'm going to set him in charge of some military units. And when he's succeeding, everybody's looking at me going, good spot, good find, Saul. This guy, this guy is good. This guy is good for all of us. We should promote this guy. And they promote him and celebrate him and he goes out and he comes in and he is successful and then he gets a little bit too successful. Because then he comes back and the the women start singing and dancing and they say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. He said, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Ever been in in relationships where somebody is keeping a close eye on you? Why? Because suspicion has arisen. And I'm going to keep a close eye on you because I'm anticipating betrayal. And I'm going to watch for it until I find it. Those are difficult friendships to be in because you have to tiptoe around those friendships. You have to count your words and then justify them and then come back and have a conference about them to ensure that we're still okay. Because everything you say can be counted and misread. And so we're in this, in this friendship that's when, 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 when we've hung out and I go home, I'm tired. we've worked too hard to maintain this thing. Why? Because I have, I have bred insecurities that I haven't de- dealt with. And then I began to project them into the relationship and into the friendship. And because I'm anticipating or because I'm fearing betrayal, I anticipate betrayal. And because I'm anticipating betrayal, I'll see it in you. That Man, that, re- that, that friendship is doomed, right? It's doomed. It's hard. Don't be a soul. Deal with your stuff with your insecurities, so that you don't project them into your your friendships. Is it quiet because your your soul in that you're like? Is that a, is that a little bit of soul I feel? We've looked at the relationship that David had with Jonathan. And it was beautiful and it was sacred. And we looked at the relationship that, um, that David had with Samuel. It's beautiful and sacred. And we look at the relationship that David had with Saul. And it's unhealthy. What we have to manage in our relationships is at which point am I Samuel, at which point am I Jonathan, at which point am I Saul? Because I can be all three on any given day. Healthy management of friendships means being able to navigate that moment when we moved from a David and Jonathan moment to a David and Samuel moment. We are peers And we mutually feed into one another. But in your moment of weakness, I'm able to be a soul to you. And I'm able to be the one who's strong. And I'm able to be the one who carries you into the presence of God. That's okay. That doesn't need to be weird. We can reflect on that and we can come back into a David and and Jonathan moment. Why? Because tomorrow I'm going to need you to be Samuel. And so it's okay for us to be moving in and out of a David, Jonathan, David, Samuel relationship. And if we move into a David and Saul kind of space, we need to be able to reflect and figure out how to move into this space. Moving into a David and Saul space doesn't mean, doesn't spell the doom of the friendship. We can have, we're grown-ups, we can come together together, Armour down, robes down, belts down. Hey, I just want to be naked before you because I need to tell you that I felt for a moment like I stepped into a soul kind of space with you. I think upon reflection that I was projecting some stuff that I was dealing with. And I misread something that you said and it it erupted. I want to apologize. Can we step back into our David and Jonathan moment? Listen, I felt like you stepped into a soul moment in that time. Can we speak about that and engage it honestly and maturely so that we can quickly move back into our David and Jonathan moment? If we can't have those conversations, we can't have friendships. We will have shallow things that, that, that cause us to move from person to person to person. Breaking up friendships and breaking up and, and breaking up and having this trail of friendship hearts that are, that, that, are, that are behind us building on unhealthy friendships. Why? Because we just refused to roll up our sleeves and do the work of creating quality friendships. It was hard. And so we had this moment. Trust was broken. And I felt like we entered over here. What do I do? I cut my losses. So what we do today right we don't we don't work a lot on stuff now we cut cancel move on i'm worth i'm worth more <laughs> self love got <laughs> to got to have those boundaries and then we quote psychologists then we quote this then we quote that and all of it is trying to hide from actually working to build relationships there are some relationships and friendships that you've got to walk away from. I think that's healthy. But at least ask yourself some questions first and try and have those engagements. Okay, we're in a David and Saul moment. Can we find our way back over here? This was healthy. We got into this and you were there for me. I appreciate that. And, and you brought me, man, I love that. It actually caused us to, 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 be, to be even closer. But we're back here. And these these that this dance between how we flow in relationship is important. But there is one relationship, one friendship, and one friend that Scripture says sticks closer than a brother. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was called a friend of sinners. You know that when he was called a friend of sinners, that wasn't a compliment? That wasn't like a a cool tag to put, you know, Jesus' t-shirts all had like friend of sinners. (laughs) That was an insult, They were insulting him. They were trying to lower his stock. But today we get to say, thank you, Lord, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Because if Jesus was not a friend of sinners, then I would be in trouble. I would be in trouble. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then we stop him right there. (laughs) Okay, we'll just... (laughs) Before you go any further, command command those are strong terms for friendship you realize i can choose to be here right i can choose to walk away you don't get to command me you got to take me as i am isn't that how friendships work you make no demands of me you make no requirements and jesus says, no 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 brother if we're going to be friends i have some demands and i have some requirements okay what are what are they no longer do i call you servants for a servant does not understand what his master is doing but I've called you friends because everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Does this ring a little bit of the David David and Jonathan? Come on. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. This is my command to you, love one another. Love one another. So Jesus teaches us that friendship is of the kingdom. But friendship has requirements. It's not a, I'm going to show up the way I am and you better take me because that's friendship. And, uh, and if you can't do that, then I'm finding a new friend. That's the world's friendships. We get to make demands of each other. Let's create safety for one another. What are the parameters of us being friends? If I tell you this stuff, and you go and you post about it on social media, That's not cultivating good friends. We can't be friends if you're gonna keep doing that. No, that's me. I gotta. The people need the content, man. Come on. (laughs) Well, okay then. Go and be friends over there, but not with me, because if you are my friend, this is what I command you. Good news is you get to say that back to me, and we cultivate friend, uh, 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 safe. Friend spaces that have that are reciprocal and are, are, are a call and response. We make demands on one another. It's right that we do so. And Jesus makes this requirement of us. What is his command, by the way? It's in verse 17. This is my command to you. Love one another. Love one another. Come on. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He says, ah, command, oh, heavy word, command. What is the actual command? Just love one another. Love one another. That's what I'm asking of you. So what does it look like for us to be friends with Jesus? Well, we submit our lives to him. We recognize that he's well able to command us. But he invites us into intimacy where he shares with us all that he has learned from his father. And all that he brings from that relationship, he brings into the relationship with us. And then he says this to us. He says, the relationship cannot be sustained between just you and I. I need you to love others. You cannot say that you love Jesus and not love others, the others. Love one another. So we want to end um, with an invitation. An invitation is for those of us who are yet to respond to the call to come into friendship with the friend of sinners. If you are a sinner, this is good news for you. Because the friend of sinners extends an invitation to you to come into relationship with him. What is it going to require of you? It's going to require of you to surrender your life to him. And to learn, it's a journey, to learn to love those The people those people that Jesus loves. Whoever Jesus loves, you gotta love them. But he will teach you. That's that's his grace. So let's stand to our feet. Jesus is a friend to us all and would want to be a friend to you if you don't know him. We're going to close the service, have people come to pray and all of that all the way we normally do. But in this quick moment, we're just going to remind our souls what a friend we have in Jesus. And as we do so, if you are responding to that call to be a friend of Jesus, you're welcome to come to the front and we're going to pray for you while we sing, while we remind our souls, while we declare to Jesus. And at the end of that, Pastor Greg will take us forward and will tell us what to do. Um, But this is a moment between you and Jesus. What I want to encourage you to do is, remember, he says, your love is in context. It's 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 within community. So, if you're responding to that call, I'm going to invite you to come. To come to the front as we. As we sing this song. And we'll have the words come up in just a second. If you don't know them.
1: Thank you, Jesus, that you are our friend, that you are a friend of sinners. That's why every one of us is here, Lord, and we are so grateful. Can we just praise the Lord? Thank you, my friend Lyricko. That was amazing. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen that meme on Instagram that says, nobody ever talks about the miracle Jesus did where he had 12 good friends after the age of 30, right? And the truth is that friends are not just for school. They're not for your young adults. They should be there for your whole life. We never outgrow the need for friends. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you need friends. And you know, the best thing about friends for me is you get to choose them. You can't always choose your family, as wonderful and (laughs) awesome as they might be. But you can choose your friends. And so make sure that you choose friends and you choose them well. And I believe that singles should have single friends, men should have men friends, women should have women friends, couples should have couples friends, families should have family friends, and everything should be mixed up together in that as well. And here's a really beautiful thing, you know, that if we are friends in faith, our friendships get to last forever. Isn't that incredible? And so find some friends in faith. Be a Jonathan to someone, be a Samuel to someone. Make sure you've got a Jonathan. Make sure you've got a Samuel. God wants to bless you that way. And I wanna encourage you to tell your friends today, I love you. If if you're not ready to say those words, Lareko, you can say things like, I so appreciate you in my life. I value the support and truth you, you bring to my life. I receive that as I love you. <laughs> uh, we're not done yet. So really go, go, go out and make sure you just honor the people you love in your life. It's such a valuable thing to do. And so if you do need prayer for anything, when we close the service, uh, the, prayer, the ministry team is going to come down. You can come down and receive prayer parents and caregivers just uh, please just watch your kids as you head out into the into the parking lot it is very busy with lots of cars and things moving around so watch over them to all our first-time visitors what a joy to have you with us this morning please don't leave immediately through those doors to the left uh, you'll see the visitors lounge we've got some snacks and great hot drinks for you and i want to leave you just with the benediction as we go you may close your eyes the lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. With the blessing that you receive, go out and bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed Sunday afternoon.